Hello and welcome to episode two of Summoner's Corner. Last week we went over all of the North American teams for LCS and uh, it's time to actually get in and see how they performed after the first weekend. I'm your host Will. And I'm your other host Josh. Let's jump right in. Yeah, so we've got a lot of games this week. Uh, 15 to be exact. Big sample size of games coming. Yeah. Three games per team. Uh, the sched- 15 a week is going to be a lot to keep up with. Yeah, it really is. The scheduling worked out a little bit weird this week where one team ended up playing twice a day. Uh, and I found out why that was. That's actually due to the way uh, the teams are divided for the group stage of this tournament. Okay, I... F- Figured it was something to do with the round robin, but it still just seemed really bizarre. Uh, I mean, a- another thing to note as well, though, FlyQuest only played two games in total over the weekend, whereas CLG played four. I had not noticed that. That's interesting. Yeah, so a little strange, but again, I, I guess it's just the way that the round robin worked we'll out. We'll just have to assume this coming weekend then. Uh... Fly will play one more, and I'm Soji sh- will play one fewer. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everything will, will yeah. balance it out. So a little bit weird, a, um, a little bit of uh, skewed data for some teams, but like the average game, or, or the average team will have played three games on average. Yes. So we should get a relatively balanced sample size. Uh, for sure. I think we got a solid sample size of what each team is capable of and, and just a, a look at their roster pieces. Unfortunately, we talked about it last week, but there are some visa issues going on with players. So some teams aren't playing with their full rosters. They had to put subs in. So I think that could definitely affect things. But for now, I, I think it's a decent look at what we can expect. Yeah, and it really is kind of fortunate that they're having these issues now with this uh, tournament coming in as sort of a precursor to the actual league play. Uh, so hopefully by the time uh, regular league rolls around, uh, all the rosters will be at full strength. Yeah, definitely. That'll be good to see. Let's jump right in with games, though. The first one that I want to talk about, or first team, I guess I want to talk about overall, is, is your team, actually, TSM. Yeah, they had a shaky start. They went 2-1. and one. They they dropped their first game. It was not a good 2-1. Two 2-1 and one. Two, two and one does not reflect the way they look this weekend they they should be one and two for sure all all of their games were were very close their second day game against uh, golden guardians they looked so bad early my goodness um the only way they won that game was golden guardians threw really really hard at baron uh have you have you ever seen that meme of scara uh, he was on the broadcast one day and he was like up until the point where they lose the game they're winning I, I just have a picture of that in my notes. <laughs> yeah. So in my opinion, then, I think 2-1 and one is a proper record for this team, but I think they should have won the first game and lost the second one in that case. I feel like Bjergsen threw game one with the draft. I think he drafted so poorly. I agree, but it, it's hard to say like, oh, well, bad draft equals loss. Like, 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 everything's so uncertain, and really, there were a lot of meta picks, right? Like, if you look at that game, I think Talia was the only really 
no, not Zaya, sorry, was the only non-standard pick uh, that didn't really see wide play over the course of the entire weekend. Uh, so with that sample size, um, I think the globals were really effective for 100 Thieves. For sure. Yeah. Like 100 Thieves played very well. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't really think we can take that away from 100 Thieves. And something I didn't know going in in the first episode was actually that 100 Thieves has four players from the same roster last year. Yes. Yeah. 100 Thieves is a very, very similar team from what they had. So it is expected that they will show better early on synergy than other teams. And I, I think that shows through a lot when using global abilities. So I, I watched this game uh, all the way through normal speed and everything. I watched it live. Um, the reason that I think Bjergsen threw this game, he he picked three losing lanes in the Huninar, the bot lane with Zaya and Leona. Zaya is just so bad right now. She's I think she's one of the worst ADCs currently. Um, she relies so heavily on her team to do well early because she's just useless at that point. And a, a losing mid lane as well in Oriana. I mean, like Oriana is not really a champ that goes out and necessarily wins game she'll have a lot of farm but um she doesn't she's not a lane dominant champ and i think that's like rule number one of of league of legends don't have three losing lanes that makes it so hard to actually win the game when all of your lanes are just set up to lose right away yeah i get behind that also so the the one thing that really bothers me with it is tsm had an opportunity to pick kaisa and kaisa in my opinion is one of the strongest champs in the game right now for competitive she is insanely strong pretty much through the entire game she's really strong early she can burst down champs insanely well in lane she's strong in the mid game and she's an insane carry late and for some reason they passed her up i think tsm was forced to pick Zaya because looking at the ban phase uh tsm picked their adc uh second phase which means there were 10 bands total. Uh, three of those bands were 80 carries at that point. So in round one, uh, TSM banned Aphelios, who's very strong right now. And then in round two of bands, 100 Thieves banned Jin and Samira. And those are all the meta picks right now. It, they are, but the thing is, like, 100 Thieves had first pick, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, they took Talia, I think, which left Kaisa open. Oh, okay. For TSM to pick. And they, they passed it up. And I don't understand why. I think that was a huge mistake. Yeah, I, I think there are really a lot of A to S tier champions right now. Uh, we'll get into the stats probably in a little bit. But there were a lot of 100% or near 100% pick and ban rate champions over the course of this weekend. But yeah, Bjerg even came out on Twitter after and did say like, hey, really bad draft. We'll get better from here. Like, sorry, this one's on me. Yeah, I I definitely think that a lot of of the blame for that loss can be put on Bjerg. Obviously, like it, it does come down to the actual players when it like at the end of the day and stuff. Hundred Thieves played fantastic, but Bjerg put them in a losing position. Absolutely, and and really, you you can't say for sure as a fan how much of it is Bjerg and how much of it is players going like, oh, well, I can play this. Oh, well, I can play that. You know, um. Definitely, yeah. I, I've definitely heard of different coaching styles. Some are more authoritarian, 
where they're like, okay, you're, you are playing this tank and that's the end of the discussion. And other, other coaches are like, okay, well, what do you think fits well here? Like, like, what do you think? So really it does depend on the level of input he gets from his players as well. That's true. With a newer player like Lost though, I definitely feel like he should have, like, if, if Lost was the one saying, um, like, don't worry about ADC, you just grab me, whatever, in second round. I think Bjergsen should have told him to shut the fuck up and play Kaisa. <laughs> That's really the main notes that I have on TSM. The one other thing that I found interesting on with them is their game against CLG. Huni uh, played Orn and built a tier. <laughs> yeah, so they were talking about that one a little bit between the casters and the analysts and stuff. I, I guess the general theory behind that is you use it to push really hard in lane and then you sell it later. Yeah, that that was my thought when I when I saw it, and that's what he did. He sold it around the twenty two minute mark. Um, he almost had it fully stacked though, and I think it would have been obviously would have been troll, but it would have been kind of funny <laughs> to see an Orn with a Manamune or a uh, Seraphs. <laughs> I I think that's a good strategy now uh, because it's basically a Doran's item, like it's an extension of the Doran's items. It is very cheap. Yeah, I believe it. It, it boosts your damage against minions now, right? It gives you like five extra damage to minions I, I am on your autos it up. i want to say there there were too many items to learn them all so i am looking that up right now yeah focus basic, basic attacks deal five bonus physical damage on hit yeah. against minions so it, it's definitely a very okay. interesting pick and um orn can definitely struggle with mana uh early on in the laning phase especially being against a lane bully, bully like renekton having the extra mana so that you can like q for last hits I'm sure help helps a lot. It was just kind of funny I, again with with him om- almost having it fully stacked. It would have been really funny t- to see him actually upgrade it. But obviously that that's pretty troll overall. I'm glad he didn't because they won the game. Uh, th- those were really the main notes on TSM. I think overall they uh, they did about as expected in in my opinion. Um, Huni kind of ran it down a few times, which is expected. Other times he played well. I, I don't really have much else for, for this team right now. Again, I feel like they were pretty much as expected. Huni was also put in that position where he was on like NAR duty most of the time against a lane bully or like uh, tank duty in general against a lane bully. Like Renekton was yep. very, very meta this weekend. Very popular. Oh, yeah. Renekton is incredibly strong at the moment. Uh, which I find funny because the devs use an analogy when they're making champions, and it's actually called the Renekton bar. And it's like, okay, how much does this champion get bullied by Renekton in lane? Like, if they're designing a top laner? Th- th- this was years and years ago that they actually discussed this openly. But they, they, they do have something internally called the Renekton bar. And it, it's how all their champions fare against Renekton. And that is like their balance benchmark. That's really interesting. I mean, honestly, you think of a bully top lane, Renekton is like top of the list. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like that, his kit is built to just bully. I think Camille now to a certain extent, too. Camille is a very like trade favored top lane champ. Yeah, for sure. Renekton was the OG, though. Um, yeah, I'm I'm good to move on from TSM unless you have any other notes on them. No, they, they kind of look like that dog that's like crawling along at first and then it gets up and it's fine. You know, like 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 the injured dog. So hopefully they'll be up to like a steady trot next week and not dragging their legs anymore. Yeah, we'll see what happens. The next team, another 
top tier team, I think, Liquid. Yeah. Um, so TL is same as TSM at two and one, and they they had more struggles than I anticipated. For sure. So the- that being that being said, I do think their bot lane looks fantastic. Oh yeah, without a doubt, their their bot lane. In their first two games, their bot lane got first blood before like four and a half minutes, both games. I think They're, they were yep. very yep. good. Between either level one or level two, Core JJ just knows and he's like, okay, after like the second creep, we're going. Okay, after, after yep. one more creep, we're going. And when he says they're going, you better be right on his coattails because he is like creep, E, stun, yep. someone's dying. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the last episode. Core JJ is uh, one of the best supports in the world. Definitely the best player in North America right now. So it it makes sense for their bot lane to be dominant. However, they still lost a game to 100 Thieves. And I I watched that game and I don't think they should have. I think they kind of threw. I think 100 Thieves did the proper thing, though. They put a lot of pressure on bot lane. They dove bot lane. And even when you're diving and getting like two for twos, it's good because otherwise I just feel like yep. if that bot lane gets an advantage, like we saw this in the first two games TL played, if bot gets an advantage, core JJ gets boots, core JJ shows up in mid lane, core JJ shows up in top lane, he's at Herald, he's at Dragon, the wards are there already. It, it's so it's so important to shut that down early and even if you're giving him more to do even if you're you're threatening to destroy if you're threatening to gank and dive tactical he has to be there and it's just taking him off the map farther and i, I think that's super super important because his knowledge and his movement is really what sets tl ahead in a lot of cases i i agree and I, again uh <laughs> talking about 100 thieves again it's i'm not trying to put them down they played phenomenally through this weekend i think they definitely exceeded my expectations for sure so i i have actually a lot of notes on this game because i watched it most recently because i was looking back through through the games and noticed tl dropped a game and when i saw it was 100 thieves i i had to watch it to see what actually happened um the one thing that really stuck out to me is they gave up olaf in the draft they didn't ban it and they didn't have first pick which allowed 100 thieves to first pick it olaf is very strong right now i i'm not sure if that was like necessarily a mistake they might have had something in mind to counter it i think overall they played fairly well around it but it's it's just a very strong pick so even when you're playing well around it o- olaf is still strong the next thing core jj and tactical got first blood at 155 and i 100% think that this was just core jj telling tactical exactly what to do because he started he started e on samira which no one does he is samira's dash everyone starts q which is the little poke with your gun no one starts e and like that's how they got first blood 100 thieves walked up because they got to land first tried to start bullying them and core jj and tactical just all in and i 100 percent think that that was core jj just saying start e they're not going to know it we get first blood for free and that's exactly what happened so they got off to a really solid start and and like you had said like as soon as they get that lead bot lane it makes it so hard for other teams because core jj is just able to do everything around the map 
But then there was that tower dive that, that you had mentioned. And it was a two for two overall. So not awful. But TL burned two teleports in the process of that. And one of them was pretty much just an in from Jensen. He teleported in with practically no mana on Cassiopeia. Yeah, that's a big note I had about this game. Jensen looked really weak. He he even had like a counter pick too. Like Cassio actually plays really, really well into Galio because she's able to with her uh the I can't remember the ability name. I think it's her W where she puts the poison on the ground. That's miasma. Yeah, and it, it stops because uh, it stops movement, which means Galio can't do his punch, and he can't even alt off of that. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's really interesting. So like even though Galio does well into pretty much any AP champ, Cassio is like the best AP champ into him, and he still struggled. And I, I just I don't understand that TP play when you're on no mana. Cassio is like one of the most useless champions when she doesn't have mana. Yeah, I and, and it's weird because usually TL's cross map play is is very very good. Yeah, so that was very strange to see. Despite that, however, Liquid still had a a thousand gold lead around the 530 mark jensen was two and one alfari in the top lane was one and oh tactical was one and one so like they were doing well still despite blowing a double tp on a two for two trade but then not a ton had really transpired there wasn't really any like huge fights that i had of note but 100 thieves managed to pretty much tie up the gold lead at about eight minutes in and fbi was at three and two on Ophelios. And I think that's where the game turned. So that would have been off that big dive that came after the first dive, uh, where they ended up behind TL's tower. And that that was, I, I, I totally agree, that was a huge turning point. That's where all the key members for 100T got ahead when they needed to. Yes. Yeah, and then from there, at the 11-minute mark, 100 Thieves just, uh, like, from from 8 minutes to 11 minutes, 100 Thieves just continued to outplay Liquid pretty much in, in every fight and every trade and gained themselves a 1,000 gold lead. Uh, and from there, the, like, the game was pretty much history. 100 Thieves just continued to outplay Liquid and grow their gold lead and finish the game around 30 minutes. It did take them a while to grow that lead, though. Uh, if you look at 20 minutes, the gold lead was still a 1,000 gold. It was, yeah. So there there was a long portion through that game, which is why my notes don't talk about um, a, a lot past the 11-minute mark. There was a large chunk of that game where both teams just farmed and didn't really do anything. The thing is, though, when... So it, it's really tough because Team Liquid plays extremely well in the slow game if if the game is going slow that's when they're typically at their best when they're able to just farm up and get their items because typically they just outplay the enemy team so like even being down a thousand gold i feel like liquid thought that they were in a good spot since they were able to just farm without fighting however a hundred thieves just played better than them I think that it speaks to the level of experience and skill on Liquid that they were able to hold the deficit to such such a small amount for so long. I I don't think that's hundred thieves being inexperienced. I th I think they have 
the callers and the experience to try for things. And I think they were trying for things. I just think it's, it's a testament to how Liquid knows their positioning, knows not to get caught, is playing around their support's vision, their jungler's vision. Definitely. Liquid played very smart in order to not allow Hunter Thieves to balloon their lead. But it, it did just come down to a point where it, like you have to contest something eventually. And when that happens, they, ju- they just lost. I think anytime you can get it to a point where it's a fight like that, even if it's a 60-40, it's better than trying to take two or three fights before that may be like 75-25 that you're going to lose. Yeah, that's true. It's just I, my my main thing with this game, though, is that like Liquid had a thousand gold lead and they they weren't able to to do anything with it. And Hundred Thieves ended up making plays and coming back. And I, I just feel like that's not expected from Liquid. Like Liquid is a team that is once they're ahead, it's so hard to beat them as soon as they get a gold lead. I agree. There was also one point in this game where they uh, Liquid that is tried to go for a catch and they ended up they CC'd onto Olaf. And then Olaf wasn't CC'd anymore, and he killed someone. Yeah, this this is where he just turned around and killed yeah. Jensen. Yeah, right? and and one, it's it's Jensen, and he was having a really bad game, and and then Olaf just like threw an axe at his head, and it it was really bad. But two, it was quite a shock because I think Liquid's really used to like getting that pick, and he, again, to their credit, they go all in, and this time they did that, they went all in. But it was just a straight up 4v4 because the one they caught just turned and joined the fight again. And I, I think a lot of this game for 100 Thieves, yes, they played well. I think it was also carried by the fact that they had Olaf, who had previously been 100% ban rate. And again, that, that's why I have in my notes that that like my, my main thing is that they gave up Olaf in the draft. And I, I definitely do think that that is a pretty big reason that 100 Thieves managed to come back because Olaf is so strong. Yeah, I think a lot of this was draft error. Also being uh, playing alongside of Lulu as well. Like Lulu helps Olaf a lot. And Galio. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually wanted to highlight Closer on the Olaf went 6-3-6. and six. Demonte on the Galio went 3-1-7. and seven. And then FBI on Aphelios, 6-2-5. and five. FBI was phenomenal for 100 Thieves all through this weekend. FBI has been looking very, very good. I was very impressed with his play. Like He has been looking like a top ADC in North America through this first weekend. It was very impressive. I'm going to be interested to see how he does going up against stronger bot lanes in the regular season. After everyone's gotten their their first couple of games under their belt, everyone's kind of settled in to playing like set tournament style games. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like it's one thing to to have that strong showing out of the gate, but to really keep that and contest people going forward, like people will be watching out for this guy. Yeah, definitely. Did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on for Liquid? That was really the only game that I wanted to highlight. Uh, I, same kind of same with TSM. I think the other two games went fairly as expected. Liquid is a very strong team. They didn't play top teams, <laughs> really. Yeah, no, I. I, I think a lot of these games were like, oh, one kill. Okay, Liquid's ahead. They win. Yeah. It, it And that sounds like an exaggeration, but I really do think it was that simple in a lot of cases. I, no, I agree. And, and it's incredible to say because, I mean, really, one kill is not a lot in the grand scheme. But when it's bot lane level one and level two, it just empowers Core JJ so much. And really, his experience and his, his skill... 
as this world-class player really does show through in every game he's in. It's so impressive. Yeah, I agree. Moving on to the next top tier team in North America right now, Cloud9. They also went 2-1. and one, And I, th- my main question with this, because they played EG in game one. That's who they lost to. EG is also a powerhouse. They went 3-0 this weekend. They lost to the first place team. We'll, we'll get into them in, in a second because EG looks very, very strong. But Cloud9 also looked incredibly strong in their two games after that. And I'm curious if the EG game would have went differently if that took place on the Sunday after Cloud9 had a chance to get some like real games in with their new roster. That is interesting because I, I think also EG got out the gate strong, but then tended to struggle in their later games. If you watch their, their final game on Sunday, yeah. they did not look nearly as strong as I think they did against C9. Yeah, they they still got the win, obviously. Like they said, they went 3-0, but it was much closer than, than the other two games. It was very shaky. It was very back-and-forth game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I to be f- honest, EG is an incredible team, and they played that game very, very well. I think one of the main reasons that it was such a blowout, though, because, I mean, it really was. Like, EG crushed Cloud9 in that game. It was close early, but as soon as they got a lead, it, it, just, it was over for, for Cloud9. So, yeah, I think just my main thing is, like, was it just a matter of it being a new roster and their first, like, real LCS game with a new roster? Or are they not as good as we might think? So I think this was actually a combination of a couple of things. And I think the first one of those has to be the draft. So you've got perks coming in, obviously the biggest acquisition in the entire offseason. And you put him on Yone first game. I don't think that was smart. Yep. I think he should have been on more of a comfort pick. What do you think? I, I, I agree for sure. I think it puts a lot of pressure on him, putting him on a champ like that. My thing is, though, I'm I'm very curious, uh, and it's the same sort of thing with Bjergsen, where I'm, I'm curious if that was the coach who said pick Yone, or if that was Perks who said, give me Yone. It has to be something they've been practicing. It, obviously, it must be, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Perks has been playing a decent amount of Yone in solo queue as well. I mean, Yone is such, it's like a Yasuo, right? It's such a polarizing champion where you're either going to hard carry or hard feed, I think. And that's the thing. It, it's so feast or famine. And I, I think, really, you do have to get a lead to be effective in team fights because you are that, that sort of melee attack damage all-in champion, right? Like, uh, a lot of these other mages, right? Like he's going up against a Syndra, for example. Oh, that's a tough um, matchup. <laughs> yeah, that that's tough in lane. Yeah. And later in the game, Syndra sits back farther in the team fight, where yep. Yone is always going in. Yeah, and he did get first blood in this game, but it just didn't feel like quite enough because they they struggled pretty much immediately coming off of that first blood. But I don't know. Part part of me wonders if it was Perks saying. This is NA. It's easy mode. Give me Yone. I'll hard carry. <laughs> like, I, I don't really know if he's that kind of guy to get cocky like that. He is. He made that tweet before the tournament. Exactly. Like, I, I almost feel like this could just be Perk saying, give me Yone. I'll hyper carry. Easy. As far as Cloud9 goes, though, there are other two games. I mean, they just dominated. Perks looked really good in game two. He went 3-0 and 4 on Galio. And then Sven and Vulcan just crushed that third game 
Zvan went eight zero and three on Aphelios, and Vulcan was zero zero fourteen on Alistar. And I think that's more of what we expect from this Cloud Nine moving forward. Absolutely, I think the second two games were exactly what we expected to see out of Cloud Nine coming into this weekend. And had it not been for that first little hiccup, they did not disappoint this weekend. They were on their bot lane was excellent. I thought Sven did a great job. I I think. C9's bot lane and TL's bot lane are going to be really interesting to watch go up against one another. Yeah, I'm very excited for for TL versus C9. And I think that Sven is the strong point of C9's bot lane, and Core JJ is the high point of TL's bot lane. For sure. So stylistically, it really will be interesting to see how that has an effect on the rest of the game. Yeah, I agree. Personally, I think if Sven can put enough pressure out on down there, it will throw TL off way more than if C9 has a bot deficit. So I, looking to the future, I want to see Cloud9 go for a winning lane and try to punish Core JJ. I agree. And I, I, I think that's like a good path to victory for them. Overall, from what we've seen, I think that is typically the C9 bot lane style is pick a winning lane. Very, very rarely do they go for something that's not set up to to dominate that bot lane that's what they play through a lot like last year we saw a lot of the mid jungle synergy but even when that was happening Sven and Vulcan were still just crushing other duos so I I hope that they will pick that up against TTL and I think that'll be a, a winning strategy for them I do think strength of schedule also comes into question though I think C9 did have two sort of easy games compar- comparatively after their first one, right? Like, like EG obviously looks strong, but IMT did not look very impressive this weekend, and neither did FlyQuest. FlyQuest is really hurting without their their main jungler right now, and their play reflected that this weekend. Definitely, I agree. The one thing is, though, like, you expect C9 to crush those teams, and they really did crush those teams. Like, they're, they didn't struggle at all in those games, which is really good to see. Oh, yeah, it's reassuring for sure. I want to call out Fudge. Uh, in game three versus IMT, he made a total rookie mistake. He was recalling in a very unsafe spot, and he got caught out and killed for it. And I think that they they really need to look at that and, and watch because early game looks so important right now. It's so easy to build out build up a snowball at the moment. And it's so easy to just roll one thing into another thing into another thing. I think any sort of weakness there, any sort of carelessness there, and it really was carelessness. Like he had an opportunity to walk back behind his turret and he recalled it in a forward brush and river. So I, I, I'm sure they'll address it. I'm sure they'll look at the VODs and be like, hey, that wasn't very good. Don't do that. But it, it is something to look at, you, you know, uh, from otherwise very very clean games all right uh next team only three and O team evil genius so did you see this coming at all not three and O, because i i mean the main thing is i expected cloud nine to beat them but uh, as we talked about last episode eg is probably the third best north american team so it's not totally unexpected i don't think some stats here Impact only played Renekton. He looked incredible on it. I, I mean, I guess that part is unexpected because, again, he's more known for the tank style. He looked phenomenal on Renekton, though. Uh, one of my notes, actually, is that it, it looks like he is 
right back in world champion form. I mean, he he's struggled at times in NA with just different metas and stuff, but boy, was he strong. <laughs> I think Renekton is overtuned with the items right now, right? Like, obviously, we saw a lot of Renekton. Renekton's a lane bully to begin with. I think that's really exacerbated right now, but it works, so why not take advantage of it, right? Like, And I, I think Impact is such a good pilot. It, it was... It's so good to see that play. Like, like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, he played it, it. Yes, it is a very, very strong pick right now. But he played it very well and was very smart with it. Uh, he had a, a few like very nice TP plays throughout, and was very impactful during team fights. Which I, I find sometimes Renekton can struggle with that because I, I think he wants to be more of a flanking champion, and if you don't do it properly, you just die. <laughs> Uh, but he he played very, very well. I think the build pass really helped, though. Like, Gore Drinker right now, you go in, you use your abilities on, like, three-plus people, and you're just, like, at max health, even though they're all hitting you. Uh, actually, a good question. What patch are they playing on? Do you know? Uh, patch 11.1. Okay, so Gore Drinker is getting changes next patch. It's going to be stronger in 1v1s, but weaker in team fights. Uh, they're making it so that it will heal more, but now, like currently, if you have a bunch of people around you, because it it's like percent missing health that heals for. So right now, if you're at like twenty percent health and you use it with three people around you, all three of the healing from like the three hits around you counts as if you were at twenty percent health. Whereas once the change happens uh it it's gonna change so that they're consecutive so it's it's not calculating it all in one clump it does like one heal and then the percent health that you're at now that's the next heal percent health you're at now is the next heal so it's gonna be weaker in team fights because of that however they're buffing the healing a little bit overall so it'll be stronger in 1v1s okay that's not renekton's only build path so i don't know if that will like totally take him out of the meta but i can see that being enough of a nerf where maybe he isn't close to a hundred percent pick and ban no he he's still going to be very strong overall because i mean it, it's not just his build and, and i mean like it, it's the same with aatrox and olaf and and all of these other champs that rush gore drinker i don't think it's big enough nerf to the item that will actually take those champs out of play it's just something to note and renekton is one of those champions that this weekend was only not picked or banned in one game and for good reason. For good reason. Yes, he was very strong. So the other note that I have on EG, Deftly, was so good for them in all of their games. He played incredibly. Uh, he was 11-3 and against Dignitas on the Sunday. He went... He went 5-0 and on Jin against Immortals on the Saturday and against Cloud9 on day one. He was 9-2 and on Kai'Sa. I was really impressed with both bot lane members, to be honest with you. Yeah, I Ignar uh, obviously was a pretty big part in Deathly's success. One of my notes, actually, uh, Deathly and Ignar is looking like one of the top bot lane duos in NA after this first week. I agree. I think that's a trend among top teams right now. They all have very strong bot lanes. Yeah. Yeah. Overall they were they were just 
dominant. It was very impressive to watch. Um, Ignar had some interesting picks, too. So we saw Galio support, Thresh support, and Maokai support coming out in the three games. Yeah, uh, all three of those not very high pick rates overall for that role, at the very least. No, not not this weekend, and I feel like not in general. I, I haven't seen a ton of Maokai or Galio support. Yeah, I, I will say Maokai and Galio are both uh, very strong in solo queue right now, just with, with items right now. Maokai with the Imperial Mandate right now is very strong the amount of damage he's able to do and map control with the saplings is ridiculous and the global presence galio brings i think is great in the support position i i think that it's a strong engage i think early on you have that that taunt uh, that's an aoe that can draw in both uh opposing laners which is great for setting up ganks and great for 2v2 engages so I, I think it really does cover the broad aspect of the game. And I, I think Ignar is a really skilled player. So we will see a diverse set of champions for the whole season coming out from him. I agree. Yeah. The other pro with Galio is it is it it is a flex pick. It's very good in the mid lane right now as well. So being able to take that early and, and have options is very nice for teams. Really, with the amount of diversity that the players have shown in the past, right? Like Jazuke last year, playing a huge amount of mid lane champions. Uh, Ignar. Yeah, it was like 18 different champs or something like Ignar that. Ignar starting to show this year his level of diversity already, the depth of his champion pool. Um, if Impact can get to that point as well, they can really have some fun with drafting where they draft like Galio Maokai round one and no one knows where either champion is going. Yeah, I think this team is going to be very fun to watch for drafts because of that, just with their very diverse champion pools overall between Jazuke and Ignar alone. It's gonna, EG is going to be a really strong, really fun team. Uh, and also uh, Sven Skarin looking very good in the jungle. Solid play, good control. Not, not really anything super standout to say, I don't think. But he play, he played his role very well. The objectives were generally controlled very well. So, yep, yeah. I mean, like th- this guy is a former MVP. He played very well, very smart. He wasn't like the main carry, but it, it seems pretty clear that they don't need him to be. <laughs> and he was playing damage dealers the whole time. Like he has two champions picked. He picked Graves and Nidalee, and but both of those are skirmish champions. They're not really big team fight tanks. Go all in. They're more sit on the outskirts, deal damage, try to chunk one person down. But yeah, they're finding a lot of good success. Yeah, yeah, he did very well. Uh, the next team I want to talk about, which we, we mentioned before when talking about TL and TSM, is 100 Thieves. I mean, I'm pretty sure both of us had them ranked towards the bottom this year, and they come out 2-1. and one. Uh, They beat Team Liquid and TSM. But then, their loss was to CLG. <laughs> Yes, truly counter logic there. To be fair, the loss to CLG was extremely close. Even like at the end of the game, it was only a four thousand gold lead, which four thousand gold is is like massive through mid and even late game. But for like the very end of the game, <laughs> when the Nexus blows up, to only have a four K gold lead is uh, very close. Very close. Yeah, so there were a couple of things I wanted to go over for this game. Actually, the first one was the gold lead at twenty seven minutes. The gold was within 1,000. 
But when you think about how late that is, you're approaching late game at that point, right? I'd, I'd say anything past 30 minutes, I would consider late game. Anything after 15 would be like mid game, right? Lane phase is broken. You're roaming around the map. That's when mid game starts. And then 30 minutes is when you're really looking for that decisive team fight. So to be at 20 minutes with a 1k gold lead is really, really, really close. It was a very competitive game. Uh, 28 to 25 in kills in favor of CLG. Uh, another big, big issue for 100 Thieves in this game. They got out to an early lead with dragons. They got the first three dragons on the map. Yeah. And then they just lost control from there. Yeah. They, they proceeded to concede the next four dragons straight. And not not only is that bad in the sense that they're giving up objectives constantly, but they allowed CLG to stack Ocean Drags. So by the end of the game, they had Ocean Soul and four drags uh, healing them up constantly. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, CLG's team comp was Rel, Victor, Jin, Nar, and Talia. There's a decent amount of poke in there between uh, like Jin, Nar, Talia. They're, they're champs that can kind of just sit back and throw out spells and, and autos. So having that much healing is really good. Yeah, so I, I think going forward, 100T was looking good in their other games. I, I just think they really need to focus on those mid-game objective control points. So transitioning into better control over dragons, better control over, or, or using heralds to pressure to convert into these. Because really, had they gotten that soul a little bit earlier the game was close enough at, at any point where they could have where that edge could have been the decisive factor yeah one other main thing that i want to point out with this game is fbi on the kaisa was 11 7 and 9 despite them losing this game and my main note here is just please ban or first pick kaisa every game if you're if you're not planning on first picking or banning her this champion is insanely strong right now so much carry potential yeah, there was one fight where uh, CLG was pushing the tier 2 mid tower, and Kaisa landed the Prey Seeker, I believe it is, yep. the, the long range missile nuke. Yeah, the, her W. Yeah, she landed it onto Jin, ulted in, assassinated Jin, and was still able to continue the fight. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't know how many times this weekend we saw uh, Kaisa just press R, and then someone is just deleted off the enemy team. Yeah, that really is crazy for an ADC. I, I think the items, and, and this is going to be a common theme, right? Like I've, I've said this once or twice already. I, I think this really is some of the items coming into play being overtuned on some of these champions, right? Like Kaisa already gets a shield when she ults in. And then on top of that, ha- having some of these items to either dash away or like the shield bow or... I, I'm pretty sure her... her- her build through through most of this first weekend was the gale force giving her that extra dash uh i know that is probably the most popular item for adcs right now as a whole yeah again we did have a small sample size of 80s we did there wasn't a ton of variety at the bot lane so it it will be we'll be able to say something more informed about that uh after like the first round of balance changes but for now it does seem like that is one of the uh premier items down there yeah uh, i do want to mention on the other side of this game wild turtle on Jin 10 5 and 12 and Jin, although not having that ability to like jump to the backline and assassinate is a hundred percent one of those champs that will just pop a, a squishy champ 
like you blink and if he gets that four shot off you're dead <laughs> yeah so i actually found jin's use this weekend overall very interesting rather than trying to snipe those kills i found that jin was used as a mid-fight uh sort of re-engage so like the t- the teams go in they start using their cc and then there's that midpoint in the fight where like most abilities are on cooldown and the teams kind of part ways just that little bit and i found many times that's when jin would open up from the back and hit two to three shots allowing the team to push forward and then that third and fourth shot were to finish off kills jin is also a very very strong pick we saw him get a, a very high pick ban rate as well if i'm not mistaken it it really and going back to the TSM game when they picked Zaya, I think this is just kind of the bot lane meta right now. Where um, if you're on a champion that uh, can't get an early lead and be solo safely, um, it's just not a strong champion. Like again, the Kaisa or the sorry, not Kaisa, the Zaya just needs so much help through early and mid game. Whereas we're seeing. Um, the Jins, the Kaisas, the Samiras, uh, be able to just blow up targets, even if you try and 1v1 them. They they have that potential to just pop you. Uh, and I think those are the top picks for, for bot lane right now, ones that can kind of be self-sufficient at times. Yeah, it's definitely favoring these sort of longer range styles, right? Or or Samira, but that's just because Samira has like a mobile wind wall and also like turns into a buzzsaw that chops everyone in half <laughs> 30 seconds into a fight. Yeah, right? Samira so, is just another story. Uh, I, I think that's the exception. <laughs> but if you look at Kaisa, longer range can poke, has the ability to dash in. Uh, Jin can poke, can immobilize from long range, right? Right, like that, that constant theme of the the alt or the w getting you there a lot faster from a safe position and then on the flip side you have ophelios who once the proper combination of abilities come in for him again turns into something of that buzz uh similar to samira where he's just walking in a circle around you hitting you for a billion damage definitely so the next team that i want to talk about is flyquest uh and they look bad <laughs> yeah they struggled uh they went 0-2 to be fair they played c9 which obviously is a very very tough matchup but then their other loss was to dignitas dignitas is not a very tough team right now their dignitas's only win was against FlyQuest, and i i think the main takeaway from their first two games is they need their main jungler jose diodo uh, they need him to come back as quickly as possible and uh they need him to do something <laughs> Yeah, so there were a few really interesting things I thought when I saw uh, the one FlyQuest game. For one, Licorice tried playing Fiora, yeah, and that was into C9, and I don't know if that was like an ego thing where he was really pushing to style on his replacement, which he didn't do, by the way. He, he looked very meh at best. I will say he did very well in lane against him but as soon as it got to like that mid game um where where laning was less important yeah he did not do well yeah you really expect fiora by the end of the game to be that split push god 
where you, the opposing team is arguing about who has to be on Fiora duty. No one really wants to take it, right? Like, everyone's afraid to get solo killed, and then, like, Fiora joins the fight and still 1v4s somehow. Well, and that that's a good point, though, because Fiora is incredible as a split pusher, and she can come in as cleanup very well, but she's not a strong team fight champ at all. When when did FlyQuest take that Fiora pick? Did they take that early or late? Fiora was last pick for FlyQuest. FlyQuest picks the Fiora, seeing most of Cloud9's team, and Cloud9's final team was Blabber on Kindred, Perks on Galio, Zvan on Misfortune, Fudge on Camille, and Vulcan on Alistar. If that doesn't scream teamfight engage, <laughs> and, and you're picking a Fiora who's a split pusher, Licorice, like by doing that, FlyQuest is saying, okay, we're putting all of our faith in, in Licorice just dominating the lane phase and being a menace inside lanes. Because that, that's the only way that that Fiora pick makes any sense going into this super engaged teamfight heavy team. And also Peel, like you don't even have a chance to assassinate the backline. Like C9, uh, uh, the draft for C9 in this game was, was incredible. They they have such a strong team here. I mean, as is evidenced by uh, a near-perfect game, FlyQuest only got one tower. They got zero kills, zero inhibs, zero barons, zero dragons. Uh, like it, it was, it was almost a perfect game for Cloud Nine, and I, I definitely think that the draft was was a big part of that. Like they were very much set up for success here with this team fight heavy comp, not really giving a FlyQuest a chance at all. <laughs> Yeah, like, like, where's the CC coming in from, from FlyQuest, right? Like, like, okay, you've got Ori, uh, Orialt, and you have Leona. Yep, that's it, really. Like, you have Jin W, but that's, I, I, I wouldn't call that, like, consistent CC, because it's still a skill shot you have to hit. No, neither would I. And there's even a prerequisite for it, even doing CC. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, on the other side for, for C9, uh, like blabber has a slow zven has a slow and then as far as hard cc you have galio one of the most cc heavy champs in the game right now alistar one of the most cc heavy champs in the game right now and camille who has her wall dash stun and also her alt yeah i i i just there's no real defined game plan other than play through top lane and 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 that's not a winning strategy in league right now I think top lane is is probably one of the weakest roles at the moment, um, despite us seeing like uh, obviously the Renekton is is incredibly strong, but even then we've seen Renektons do well through this weekend and they still lose the game. So I, I think top lane probably has like the least impact right now, and therefore is is a very hard role to like just hyper carry from. And that's what they tried to do, and it just doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I think a lot of League is bot lane centric right now. So yeah, ho hopefully FlyQuest learns from this and adjusts. Hopefully they also get their jungler in. Obviously that that's a really big hit for, for them right now because they have NXI playing who uh, wasn't awful through either of these games. Like he didn't hyper feed or anything, but obviously it, it's not what they're hoping for. <laughs> like it, both games he had two deaths he had two assists on the graves but you definitely need more out of your jungler because I, I do think jungler is uh one of the most important 
positions right now. I'm actually curious if you saw that. They did, uh, they asked Sword Art uh, what position he thinks is the most important, and his answer was jungle. I think I agree. I think a lot of that is based around uh, Rift Herald and Dragons right now. I, I But I think Rift Herald more, more so because it balloons the lead so much. Actually, the C9 game is a good example of this against FlyQuest because the Herald was given bot lane. It was summoned bot lane. And then everyone else walked away. And just Zven sat at the tower and got the extra several hundred gold. I, I think like almost two kills worth of gold for getting first tower plus plates. Yeah, if you're giving solo gold over to your ADC, especially specifically Zven, you feel pretty good doing that. <laughs> and actually, that was a trend. I noticed that in more, more than one game, prob- probably two or three this weekend. I mean, overall, I think ADC is probably in the best spot that it's been for years. Um, for a very long time, ADC has uh, arguably been the weakest role. <laughs> it, it struggles a lot if you don't get it ahead, whereas other roles can still play from behind. Uh, and I, I think that's not the case anymore. Definitely feels a lot better. I, I'm very inclined to agree. I think that uh, it's a new itemization. I think people are still getting used to it to a point, but it really is helping bolster uh, those more aggressive, flashy playstyles, and I really like seeing it. I really like players that are rewarded for, for going in and trying to deal all their damage. Uh, Kais is a great example of this, which we saw a lot, where she ults in, she uses her barrage, right? But yeah, so so to sum up FlyQuest... They only play two games. They don't have their full roster. Uh, there's lots of room for growth, but it's too early to call for them. Uh, I will say, although in the last episode we were very skeptical on Jose Diodo, I've noticed uh, a lot of other people are really high and really excited on this guy coming in. A lot of people are expecting him to do very well in North America. So uh, I am definitely very excited to see him figure out the visa issues he's having and, and come in for this team. I did notice the casters talking him up quite a bit. Yep. I was a little skeptical as to how much of that is like a, a caster stay positive. Oh, he'll get or they'll get better. Don't worry about it. And how much of that is actual hyper on the player himself? It, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I have heard like other pro players though, um, or not necessarily pro players, but former pros and. People like Doublelift and I will dominate uh, former pros that are still like very involved in in league as a whole uh, speak fairly highly of him. So I'm excited. Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing what he's got to offer for the team. Uh, I think the last main team that I want to talk about, uh, we're not going to cover all of them this week because it, it, it's early and uh, a lot of teams, uh, in my opinion, performed as expected. Uh, the last team that I wanted to, to just mention was CLG. Uh, they went one in three, which obviously not a good start, but they're missing their top laner and jungler in Finn and Broxa, and they were still looking competitive in games. Like they were not doing awful d- despite going one in three. Like even in some of their losses, they played very well. Yeah, I, I think they were playing most teams evenly. It'll be interesting to see how much of a bolster they get from having their full roster. Um, obviously, they'll be playing catch-up in terms of practice as well. I know uh, Santorin for TL uh, just arrived, 
and uh, part of their practice was he would sit in a Discord call with the current jungler. He would watch the VOD still. He would do a review with the team via Discord. So hopefully uh, these other teams like CLG have something structured similarly where it'll be less of a an abrupt transition because w- with games having already started, these teams really are going to have to hit the ground running mm-hmm. with any sort of substitutions. They yeah, have. for sure. Uh, that was really all I had for like teams in specific. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, so going over CLG again, one thing I did notice is they were one of the few teams to try a level 1 play. So in the TL game, they went for the level 1 late invade. Okay. It was unsuccessful, and it caused Smoothie to blow his flash on set. So from there, there is a very very linear set of events, which leads to them losing the game. So they go in, they fail the invade, the flash is down, Early double kill for bot lane. Yeah, so level ones in professional play. I mean, level ones anytime. I I find it because it, it's usually a fifty fifty unless you're you literally build your comp for level one. I don't think it's worth it because I think the risk is way higher than the reward. Getting first blood is not, in my opinion, is not worth the risk of uh, losing early flashes. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. I I don't know if you know from playing with me, but I've said this in game a hundred times at least, where where the support or the bot lane will ping to go in for an invade. And I'm like, no, I hate level ones. Don't do it. Don't you dare. You you sit over here and you leash for me like like a good bot lane and that's it. Please. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know. Um I yeah, I think they're just far too risky. Um although in professional level one's extremely exciting to watch (laughs) oh for sure and it's one of those things where you can just win the game on the spot yeah it's just i find it's very difficult to actually hit that point if core jj gets gets gold early right like like if tl's bot lane gets gold early for example and i'm just using them because even in this limited sample size they've proven that any small lead really does count and they can balloon it into a massive a massive lead at 10 minutes right so any any semblance of a chance of that happening really is attractive but i think when you're a good enough team you don't need to look for that you don't need to rely on that so i i really do think it is cheese at the end of the day yeah i I agree uh do you have anything else before we move on no, I just wanted to highlight that one thing. So I was looking it over, and I, I know you did as well, just some of the stats over this weekend for uh, like pick ban and win rates and, and all that stuff. Uh, so there's a few things that I wanted to highlight here. We have four champions that have 100% pick ban rate. That being Kaisa, Talia, Olaf, and Pantheon. Now, I'm intrigued by the Pantheon because... This didn't get through, I think, first phase the entire time. Yes, it had a. It was banned fifteen out of fifteen times, uh, all in the first round. People are terrified of this pantheon, and the thing is, though, I'm not sure if we'll see the same thing next week, or even see it have like a really high pick ban, because I'm I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it's receiving some fairly heavy nerfs. 
Uh, this is just a very, very strong champion right now. Yeah, so with this level of impact on pro play, generally the nerfs come pretty swift and hard. Uh, just because it, it does lead to a sort of stagnation, right? Like, always seeing the same thing banned leads to the same picks, uh, which leads to similar games, which leads to a boring view experience. So generally, Riot will try and nip that in the butt as soon as humanly possible, being that next patch or being a hot fix if it's, like, super egregious. Um, but yeah, I, I'm disappointed it didn't get through for at least one game. Like, Olaf got through for two games. I would have liked to have seen Pantheon get through for one or two games. So I, I think part of the other reason that it had 100% ban, unlike the Olaf, which is really only played jungle, Pantheon is played in three positions. Pantheon can be played top, mid, and support. That's super interesting. So, like, although from a viewer standpoint, it's, like, super exciting seeing, like, a first pick Pantheon because you have no clue where it's going, but being an opposing team... I imagine that's not very fun. <laughs> oh, that would be terrifying to draft around. Absolutely. I, I definitely understand the 100% ban rate here. I, I agree. I would have loved to see it. Um, I think Pantheon is a very fun polarizing champion because it has such high like playmaking potential with the uh, alt. But yeah, uh, it, it makes sense to me that it got the 100% ban. And you know, really, we did see a lot of globals overall this weekend, right? Galio was a major factor. We saw TF in a few games. Yeah, Galio and TF were two really big picks. And like Kaisa has semi-global as well with her ult once you get to late game as well. Uh, Talia as well with the Stonewall. Yeah, globals definitely seem to be uh, a fairly major point in, in LCS right now. And honestly, I like that a lot. I love uh, seeing a lot of globals in the game because I think it makes for really fun playmaking overall. Moving further into it, in the jungle role, we saw Talia... Nidalee, Graves, uh, Lilia. So these are all damaged junglers. Yes. Uh, I think the meta for jungle right now, from what we've seen, is very much like farm-heavy skirmish junglers. Yes. M most of these were built around the mid-game skirmish uh, or the uh, dives in the bot lane, the... the uh, four three to four to five man teleport plays where mid roams or bot uses tp like behind the tower to catch a 2v4 for example um we saw a lot of that there was definitely a lot of pressure on the bot lane but it'll be really interesting to see if if that evolves or changes going into week two or if it continues to just be those same fast clear damage oriented champions so going off of that, actually, I want to go over uh, champion win rates because there's a few of those champs that we mentioned with very high win rates right now. So I, I looked at win rates and uh, as far as 100% win rate, all of these champions have been played uh, at least two times. I don't have anything that was only played once because I don't think that counts. Um, even twice is kind of iffy, but I threw it in there anyways. Five champions with 100% win rate right now. That being Olaf, Gangplank, Victor, Aatrox, and Maokai. Uh, all of these were played twice and have a 2-0 record. Uh, so obviously seeing the Olaf in there as a very impactful jungler, he had 100% pick ban rate. <laughs> so very strong right now. Yeah, I definitely think for these, we, we do need to take uh, yes. ban rate into effect as well, right? Because 
th- those are potential gains that this champion could have had yep. that it was denied the opportunity. So I, I think while two is a small sample size for Olaf specifically, saying that it is very strong is totally justified because teams are terrified of this guy. Yes, for sure. So yeah, the other ones in here, uh, Gangplank played twice, won twice. Did not look good. Look, looked good in lane in the one game. It was Gangplank Renekton. And Gangplank did really effectively bully Renekton, I found, in that game. There, there were many times when Renekton had to use escapes. And that's not something you see often. So I, I think we maybe look for that going forward as some sort of counterpick. Because I, I, I really do feel it's effective. Yeah, uh, like he, he has the poke tools with Q and barrels as well, like a wave clear with the barrels as well helps a lot versus the Renekton. And then if the Renekton tries to go in, uh, he can just eat an orange and walk out most of the time. And he has that global presence with alt as well. So he doesn't necessarily have to commit TP to every fight. He can still be there without really being there. For sure. And with this one, uh, kind of along the same lines as Olaf, but uh, not to the same extent. Uh, he did receive three bans. So uh, he was seen pick band in in five games. Um, so, I, I mean, this is something that that teams are cautious of. Yeah, and rightfully so, I think. Uh, I, it's one of those situations where you can only practice against so many different matchups. And I, I think that uh, and, and a, this also falls into the theme of, of globals. Uh, so, so you only want to have to deal with so many globals. And I think that, uh, for example, if you had Galio mid, you really wouldn't want like Galio gangplank with like, uh, well, well, even if you had like Galio support and then you have like TF mid. Oh yeah. That, that's a much better example. Yeah. Uh, be, because at that point it doesn't matter if you're in the jungle skirmishing or if you, it doesn't matter where you are, really, you just, yeah, there's, there's the potential of, uh, the enemy getting a numbers advantage which yeah. is never good it really is crazy i but i will say i do love seeing global play i i think it really uh highlights synergistic teams as as far as uh players meshing together and as far as champions fitting together to pull off these comps uh and i think it's a really great exp- expression of skill so i'm never really disappointed to see these global comps be meta um, were there any other hundred percenters you wanted to talk about? Uh, the, the other two were Victor and, and Maokai. We talked about the the Maokai earlier. He's really strong in solo queue. He can do a lot of damage and have a lot of map presence uh, if, if the bot lane gets ahead with his saplings. I think he's actually the reason that we didn't see more Leona. Because uh, if you if you early lock in Leona, uh, the enemy support can just uh, click that ma- that Maokai button and you're screwed. Uh, Leona really relies on utilizing the lane bushes and having Maokai being able to just shut that down really hurts her. So I, I think that's an interesting reaction um, or interaction, I should say. Uh, and then the victor is just strong right now. Uh, he's not like top tier mid laner or, or anything. But uh, we saw him as a viable pick. He's another guy that can kind of wombo with people, which is fun to see. Yeah, so Victor's main change uh, that made him a lot more powerful was removing that Hexcore item from his requirements. That's uh, part of his passive now. And so the new build paths with the items 
really are helping them out. Being able to build a full six items and get those additional augments as he kills creeps and champions. Definitely. His his late game got a uh, big improvement because of that. Yeah, he's super powerful. He's also deceptively mobile. Like His, his kit really is good for skirmishing and fighting. Yes. So right below the 100% win rate mark, we have Talia at 4-1 and one with an 80% win rate. Uh, obviously, we saw this pick be incredibly strong. She had really high pick ban. And uh, Talia is probably one of the strongest junglers right now, mainly because of champs that are strong in other lanes, I think. She has like really good clear, which obviously helps. But as far as Talia as a jungler, she relies really heavily on your laners having hard CC so that she can land her uh, knockback. I also think that her wall is a big factor, right? Uh, it's pseudo-global, so it can be used as a massive mobility tool to get there quickly. If there's a skirmish in the bot lane and you're at red or you're at raptors, you can get to the bot lane in an instant. So it really does turn fights from 2v2s into like 2v4s very quickly. Right below her, we have a Felios at 3 and 1, 75% win rate. We can we kind of touched on him earlier. He's just another uh, Samira-esque thing where eventually he just becomes uh, spinning blades that murder you. He's very strong in team fights. He's very solid in lane. Yep, he just deals a billion damage. Next, we have a six-way tie. <laughs> uh, Nidalee, Galio, Jin are four and two, and then TF, Thresh, and Zoe are two and one. Uh, all of them with a 66.7% win rate. Yeah, so I think two two and three games is kind of a smaller sample size, right? Like, I, I like to see six games coming in. That really kind of cements it as consistently better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we did see, like, TF, I think, was, is uh, a champ that we'll probably see a lot more of. He has just so much playmaking potential. And even in lane, because of his passive, uh, it's the same sort of thing with, with uh, Gangplank. Even if you're behind, you're probably not actually behind because you're getting extra gold. Yeah, uh, there, there was one game where the stats were showed on TF and just for lane phase without any plates or anything, I think it was like a thousand gold up or something. Uh, but on the other side, the, the champs that did actually get more play, uh, the Nidalee, Galio, and Jin, we saw all three of those have a lot of success. As we talked about with jungle, it, it the meta is just those mid-game skirmishers that can power farm nidalee for fits that perfectly uh, galio and Jin very strong right now with semi-global presence like Jin has the the huge range of his alt galio has the semi-global alt as well uh they just seem to fit in the meta very well right now everything's very uh skirmish focused right you don't have those mega tanks coming in right now um, and I, I did notice a lot where it was like engage, disengage, and either one team was ahead enough where they could close the kills, or the teams were even enough where they would skirmish, and then both teams would split as five. And, and, and I think seeing things like Nidalee, like uh, Jin, to a lesser extent because it is uh, a damage roll, but, but, but seeing things like this are consistent with that, where it's, it's like poke, right? Nidalee graves. And then, like, games without, like, Orn, there isn't a lot of hard engage from the top lane either. Next, we Alistar is at a 3-2, 60% win rate. And this is hard hard engage. 
Uh, honestly, Alistar just feels really strong as a support right now. Uh, he's he's really dominant in lane because of how strong his engages. And then obviously he's just a team fight monster if he's ahead. It looked really good this weekend. I like seeing Alistar play. The last champion that we have with a positive win rate is the Renekton at 5 and 4, having a 55.6% win rate. This is the one that we got like the largest sample size for, and I think this is very accurate to where he'll be. He's not going to win every single game, but uh, most of the time you, you can count on, or like uh, a majority of the time, you can count on him winning. Yeah, so this uh, this comes under the whole Renekton caveat, which is he's a massive bully early game in lane, and then he has that potential to fall off unless the, the lead you get from him is really ballooned later on in the game. Yep. It's like Jace, but brain dead enough that NA can make it work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it really is like, like all the abilities are just sort of AOE except for the auto attack reset. When Renekton is this highly picked and banned, usually champs need to be brought up. Renekton needs to be brought down. Items need to be moved a little bit. Uh, to to kind of bring everything back to diversity, but while we see Renekton, it's just going to be picker ban nonstop, and I think we're just going to keep seeing that until something changes. Yep, I I agree, and and something changes on Riot's side, not not with uh, the meta or anything. I I don't think there will be any sort of huge revelation or breakthrough week two without a patch change where Renekton is suddenly not good. I think that. Uh, and you said this yourself, you need to have some sort of a winning lane, and picking Renekton is a great way to guarantee yourself an early lead in the top lane. Yeah, it's like a free lane win, pretty much, when you lock that champion in. Yep, it's everything you need. It's sustain, it's push power, it's CC for dives, it's tankiness. Okay, so other notable win rates that I wanted to go over, uh, we're, we're kind of looking at the other side of things now. Leona and Oriana went two and five uh, with a 28.6% win rate. Uh, I had kind of talked on the Leona thing before. She feels like she's just kind of in a spot where she can be super impactful if you're able to get that early lead. But otherwise, she's kind of just a dud and doesn't really do anything. Uh, the other issue holding her back, I, I believe, is that uh, Maokai threat. Like you can't insta lock her, which can make it a little difficult. Because normally she is a champ that uh, you feel pretty good picking early because she doesn't have a ton of counters. But again, with this Maokai coming in now as a really good support, she can struggle a lot. And then Orianna, again, she's it, it, it almost just feels like the meta doesn't fit her. We've talked a lot about how it feels like more of a mid-skirmish meta. And she's not that kind of champion. She's like a super late game carry where it's just like press R and if you hit enough people, you win. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think Oriana is more of a comfort champion for the older players coming into a new season. Uh, so you saw a Power of Evil playlist in the first game, for example. And that was more of a comfort pick, I think, right? Like he's played that historically very, very uh, effectively. But you're right, it doesn't fit. It There were a couple of impactful team fights that I saw in where she got like three plus man ultis. But really, if you don't hit that ulti, you're waiting till the extreme late game to, to be effective with your poke. The next one is Orn with one in three, 25% win rate in the top lane. It's so interesting because I, I think 
for solo queue, tanks are incredibly strong right now. We see uh, champs like Amumu doing incredibly well. But again, I, I think it just falls into that Renekton lane bully. We saw Orn struggle a lot. He just didn't feel that good. I also felt like a lot of the games this weekend were extremely fast. Like there were a lot of 26 or fewer minute games. And when you're playing games at that speed, you're really not getting time for the full effect of the ornaments to come in. And and that's such a big thing with him. Like you pick Orn for that late game power spike and games just aren't really making it too late game for you to get that. Yep, 30 second ultimate call in the Orn horn every like on cooldown. And then your team is just super bolstered because they have thousands of gold of free stats that Orn is buffing them all with. Yeah, and we're yeah, we're just not seeing games make it to that point. So it it does make sense that he's struggling. No, we're we're just not getting there. And then finally, we have two champions with a 0% win rate. That being the Lucian at 0 and 2. We saw him played once bot, once mid. Uh neither had success and then Lilia in the jungle at 0 and 4. So I'll touch on the Lucian first. I thought the AD carry game was like a standard AD carry game. Lucian's non-meta. The other picks are way more powerful right now. Yeah, I, I agree on that front. I don't think he's a very good bot lane pick. Uh, the other game, however, the mid lane game, it was 100% the mid laner's fault. Started off like a good game. Lucian was bullying, doing everything he was supposed to. And then the junglers came. And Lucian got greedy and tower dove and took a tower shot and the whole lead went away and he died and that was it. Who played him? Ah, it was uh, Immortals Insanity against Evil Genius. Okay, yes. Uh, he went one in three. Yeah, it just wasn't effective. It, it all snowballed off of that one thing. Like You expect to get ahead because you're bullying out the mages because mages are better at bursting a champion where, where Lucian just walks up and Lucian's in that funny spot where it's sort of like a, uh, AD mage, right? Where you are relying on your spells heavily because they augment your autos and stuff too. But when you go down, when, when you start playing at a deficit, you really don't have anything you can do without outside help. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't know if Lucian's in a bad spot. I still do want to see it come in in the mid lane maybe one or two more times as sort of like that attempted bully pick uh, when it's viable. But I it needs to be piloted correctly in order for that to be effective. And in that game, it just was not off of that botched dive. A hundred percent, yeah. Uh, and then the other one, the Lilia going 0 and 4. So we saw this coming in a lot in conjunction with Yone, and it does help to diversify damage types, but I don't know how much we'll see it going forward if this trend continues. Like I, I think we would see it for one or two more games, but uh, total pick and ban was 7. So, so to total sight, total visibility for Lilia was 7. So that's ab about half the games yeah, it's not crazy popular. It's not like a top tier thing, but people are obviously hopeful for it. Like, I, I mean, there, there's a reason that it was seen seven times. Yeah, and, and I think this is also just a thing with like the newer champions, still, right? Like anything that came out in the last year, 
people still have to work a little bit harder to quantify. One play that sticks out to me with Lilia that I saw uh, over this weekend was actually that 100 Thieves Liquid game where uh, 100 Thieves beat them. And uh, Armeo was on the Lilia. <laughs> he hit FBI and Huhi with the bowling ball, pressed ultimate, FBI cleansed, and Huhi McHale's. <laughs> I think cleanse is a much, much more popular pick for certain champs right now, uh, like especially on on champs like the Ophelios that are pretty weak as far as ganks and stuff go. He can struggle when he gets focused down because he doesn't have any mobility. And I, I think that's actually hurting the Lilia a lot. Uh, I think her a lot of her power comes from putting the trouble bubble on multiple people. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm inclined to agree. I, I think I saw cleanse a lot more often than I thought I would. Like, like usually you see it coming in if there's like a Malzahar, like that really hard long CC. But I think players are getting smarter, and this is probably through a lot of practice and coaching, uh, just getting smarter at recognizing where it would be more useful than, say, uh, Definitely, yeah. So I, I think that's hurting Lilia a lot, although... Uh, I th- I think part of the reason that we're seeing her so much is she definitely falls in to that mid-game skirmisher. She's really good in the prolonged fights where she's able to just kite around. She can do so much damage. And her her build path right now with Leandres, she is able to stack up so much damage with the Leandres dot. It is ridiculous ridiculous the damage numbers that she can put up it's just people haven't found success with it yet i i i think it it, like the cleanse definitely plays into part of it but i think she's also just not quite as strong as uh like as the talia the nidalee the graves she just doesn't quite feel as good i think some of it might be from her earlier game too because like the sleep is her ultimate correct so that's got a significantly longer cooldown, and it's gated behind level 6. So really, before that, the skirmishes are okay. She throws the bowling ball. Sometimes she'll like jump on you and bop you in the head. But she's not really getting any of that hard CC off unless, one, it's a huge catch where you're already skirmishing, and she can walk in and just kind of clean up or add that extra damage. Or, or two, your laners have the CC, and she's just there to facilitate, like, getting that extra bit of damage to close the kill or or getting the slows. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I've made a list of what I think are the strongest champs for each role coming out of this tournament or uh, week one of this tournament. Okay. You go for, I'll say, agree or disagree. I'll probably agree with most of them. Okay. I, I think you will, yeah. So in the top lane... I think it's pretty obvious. We saw Renekton just dominate. Even in games that he wasn't, that the team didn't win, Renekton still just did incredibly well through the laning phase. I agree. I think Renekton's very overtuned right now. Uh, The jungle, I think Talia is probably the best pick. uh, With the caveat that she needs to be paired with a mid laner or top laner that has hard CC that they can bring to it. Because otherwise, uh, it's incredibly hard to land her CC, which is very crucial. But I, I mean, 
she was four and one through the week, 80% win rate. She had a pretty high pick ban. She's really strong. Yep. I think Nidalee and Graves are very close behind, though. I, I think it's a very, uh, I, I think that's more so diverse, where it's not just one champion. I agree. Uh, but I, I think she is in a really strong position right now. In the mid lane, I think it's Galio. Uh, I think TF has a chance to take that over, but we need a bigger sample size for him. Galio went four and two. Uh, we saw great use of the Galio Camille combo. Uh, he just feels very strong and impactful right now. Yeah, and uh, the ability to flex pick is really nice there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in the bot lane, I think this is the only one that you might disagree with. I think Kaisa is the strongest pick. She only has a 41.7% win rate right now. But the thing is, even in games that she's losing, she is doing so much damage and getting so many kills. Uh, I just think she has the highest carry potential. So I'm going to disagree that she's the strongest only because Samira is still a champion that exists within the game. See, I, I would even put Jin above the Samira right now because Samira really needs to get ahead to do anything. Whereas I think with Jin and Kaisa, they can even still uh to a certain point play from behind and do well i think samira has potential where even if she is a little behind when she gets to the team fight phase and is fighting inside two or three players she she can still turn a fight with her ultimate and i i think that that can't be underestimated and can't be understated how powerful that ability is i mean kaisa can like 1v5 though <laughs> I, I i guess like samira can as well but i think it's harder for samira to do that I, I do want to say, at the same time, I am not disagreeing with you. I think Kaisa is very strong right now. I think that Samira overall is just that little bit stronger because of her team fighting abilities. That's fair. But definitely top two. Definitely top two. For support, it's hard to say because we saw a lot of diversity in the support role. I think it's very clear that Leona is not <laughs> the best support. We saw her a lot uh, and not with a lot of success. Uh, so I, I have three champs for this because, again, it, there was so much diversity. I think it's hard to say. Uh, we saw the Thresh go two and one. He seems like he could be potentially very strong. We saw Alistar go three and two, uh, and he even received like quite a few bans. So I think he's probably the strongest out of them just because he's getting the most like pick bans overall and, and doing well with when he is picked. Uh, and then the other champ that I have in here is the Maokai being two and uh, two and oh. So something that all of these champions have in common is that they all counter Leona. Yes. <laughs> like very, very well. Yes. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see if Leona falls out of meta, what she is replaced by, and if that has an effect on the diversity of the other champions within the bottom lane. Yeah, I, I agree. But but for now, I agree. I, I think those are all very effective champions, but I think they all do fill a specific role. I think Maokai uh, has a good chance to stick around because, as you were pointing out before, the brush control is very important. Uh, and that's something that doesn't necessarily go away just because Leona isn't bought. And I like I think the ult is just so impactful in teamfights, too. Putting down a massive, like, river-wide set of roots that can stop an entire team especially if you're able to get like the flanking position on it too absolutely being able to throw it in like from behind the enemy team and give them just no chance of escape can be so incredibly strong like game winningly strong yep and then we saw some nice thresh play we saw a couple where uh the hook was cleansed and the box was used uh it's the thresh is just a cc machine right 
That's the thing, right? And Lantern. He has so many tools. One of the lane combinations we did saw that was uh, sort of off meta for this weekend was a Thresh Callista lane. And that lane is just completely ungankable. If Thresh gets caught, he gets pulled in by uh, Callista. If Callista gets caught, she gets Lantern by Thresh, right? Yeah, it's, it's a very strong combo as far as uh, just not losing lane. Because <laughs> it's impossible to kill you. Yeah, it's just very stable. Uh, and then Alistar is just like very bread and butter, big tanky dude, lots of CC, lots of engage tools. Or, or maybe not lots of engage tools, but very effective at what he does. Yeah, very, very efficient and reliable engage tools, I think. Uh, that's all I've got for week one of the LCS lock-in tournament. So hopefully next week we can kind of look back on this and what we've said about champions going forward and see if our predictions were right, how far off we were, and just kind of look at trends overall. Yeah, definitely. Personally, I am just happy to have the LCS back. I love watching Professional League Legends. It's so fun. Yeah, and definitely looking forward to seeing some of these rosters as they get their new new players in. I know Santorin flew in this weekend. That's very exciting. They did opt to go with their substitute for the entire weekend just because they had practiced on them, and Santorin is suffering from jet lag and such. Uh, but for from all accounts that I've heard, he should be good to play next week. So moving into week two of the round robin, we should see teams starting to get stronger hopefully yeah hopefully the other visa issues are solved for FlyQuest. especially they did kind of get off easy only having two games this week hopefully we see jose diodo come in and uh really help that team out i i don't know what the restrictions are because they'll be going into the states and they're from different countries so i don't know if they'll have to quarantine i don't know if that will affect their ability to play remotely or not it should yeah, i'm not sure but at the same time i do know that lcs tends to have referees go out and be present at the game site still so rather you know rather than send everyone to a central facility they'll send like one or two riot employees out to make sure everything's running smoothly at the uh team-owned facilities yeah it'll be interesting to see what changes happen to rosters with more and more of these players solving the visa issues they're having it's exciting overall really exciting time uh pretty exciting meta right now lots of action lots of very fast-paced games so hopefully that continues going forward yeah i agree thank you very much for listening if you want you can follow me on facebook and instagram at will rolling on air and on twitter at will rolling live josh do you have any closing statements yeah i've been streaming more recently so if you want to check out my streams i am over on twitch.tv slash snapcaster13. Awesome. Thank you for listening and have a great day.